Coming out there in podcast land, you have sent you down once again to Combat Sports with Rhino, episode 132. Our guest a little bit later on going 10 rounds with Rhino is former Invicta champion, current UFC strawweight, Emily Bardinia Dakota. I can't wait for you guys to check that one out. I, it was so much fun. Great to have her on. That'll be a line a little bit later on in the show. So our intro and our schedule is as follows. We're going to have our complete... UFC Vegas 57 recap. We're going to have some coverage from Bellator 282 from Friday. We'll do the co-main and main event and then some Rhino Gang fights. We're going to have APB in my um, version or our picks for drop of the night from last night. Picks for the massive pay-per-view next week, UFC 276. Q&A with the Rhino Gang. Gang, gang. And then the aforementioned UFC strawweight Emily Cody is the latest fighter to go 10 rounds of Rhino, and it's a good one. Can't wait for you guys to check that out. So, APB. Without further ado, let's get our swim trucks and our flippy floppies on and dive right in. So Bellator 282 from Connecticut was Friday night. In the co-main event, Leandro Higo uh, got out-wrestled by Danny Sabatello, the very outspoken, we'll say, Danny Sabatello, who got the UD in that one. He had a fun face-off with our guy, Rafion Stotts, um, in the post-fight interview. Rafion will be taking him on next. I hope Rafion smashes him. Puts a little humble pie in front of his uh, face, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So then our our main event at Bellator 282 was for the 185-pound belt. Long-time top-tier fighter, Gegard Mousasi, took on, you know, relatively unknown Johnny Iblin, who is undefeated and remained undefeated. He won the middleweight championship from Gegard Mousasi, so big win for Johnny uh, over Gegard in that one. A little Rhino Gang bonus coverage. We had our guy Mandel Rat Garbage Nalo get a beautiful, First round TKO over Bryce Logan with a counter right hand at a 155. Then Aaron Jeffrey got the TKO in the second over Fabio Aguilar with a uh, up against the cage, beautiful knee and some punches, put him down and out. So TKO in the second for Aaron Jeffrey at 185. And then Pam Sorensen took a fucking beating from Kat Zingano, who looked great. Uh, Pam, Pam Sorensen is a very good fighter and I think she'll be back, but Kat Zingano just had her number that night with the takedowns, the top control, and the elbows, and everything else. So Kat got the UD in that one over Pam Sorensen at 145. All right, so that's our coverage of Bellator 282. Let's go ahead and do our recap of Vegas 57 from last night. Our first fight was at 115 pounds with Jin Yu Frey versus Vanessa Demopoulos. At the beginning of the fight, it was kind of Jin Yu Frey boxing at range and getting the better of it. Vanessa had a takedown. Um, Frey's combos were coming like really hard and often. And then Vanessa cracked her with a really good straight right, which kind of got her respect and backed um, Frey off of her. From that point forward, there was a lot of clinching from Vanessa. When she was clinching up against Cage, she wasn't just laying there. She was landing beautiful knees to the body, some short elbows, some short punches. And that really, I think, is what kind of pushed her in the direction of the judges. So she actually got the split decision win over Ginny Frey in that one, and then did the her signature jump into the arms of Michael Bisping, who seemed like he had we wanted no part of it. <laughs> so big win for her at 115 pounds. Moving into 135 with Mario Bautista versus Brian Boom Kelleher. <clears throat> we didn't have to wait long for this one, APB. There was a takedown to side control right away for um, for Mario. And then there was a scramble. Mario jumped right on Brian Kelleher's back, slapped on the RNC. Boom. First round sub for him at 135. Moving into 125 with Cody Durden versus J.P. Bays. Um, you know, J.P. Bays, we all know the story that's going on with him. You got you to feel bad for the guy. Cody Durden landed a beautiful 
uh, hard right hand that rocked JP. Both of them then um, get back up and start scrapping again, and then Cody knocks him down again. Jumps on his back, kind of in a side position. Landed a ton of hammer fists. JP wasn't moving. The ref had no choice but to pull Cody off. So he get the TKO. He got the TKO in round one over JP Bays. I think that's probably the last time we see JP Bays in the uh, in the octagon. All right, let's go into back into 135. We had Rulian Paiva versus Sergey Morozov. This one was a nice first round by Rulian. He uh. Paiva, Paiva has really good straight punches, and he was doing a very good job of being at, at the precise range and landing and not getting hit back. So he really kind of dominated the first round with the striking. In the second and the third, pretty much, it was Sergey's takedowns. It was his ground and pound. It was his pressing um, Paiva up against the cage. Sergey did a great job in the second and third, giving him the clear-cut UD in that one at 135. Moving into our first Rhino Gang fighter, I know this one bummed us both out, you being from Arkansas. And T.J. Brown being yes. from Arkansas yes. versus Shailon Nerdbecki. Um, this one was this one was a tough fight to kind of watch because T.J. We both know how skilled T.J. is. He is a strong fighter. He's a good striker. He's a good grappler. He was just like one step behind everything Shailon was doing, dude. Yeah. Um, they both came out swinging hard. T.J. attempted a couple of takedowns, but Shailon was great at reversing them. He would tie, you know, he would tie TJ up and TJ just couldn't get out. It just seemed like Shylon was so strong, uh, not only on the ground, but in the clinch positions. He was throwing really wild shots and TJ was landing more technical shots, but Shylon just seemed to be landing harder. You know what I mean? And doing more damage. Um, again, it was, it was a very clear cut 30, 27 for Shylon uh, over TJ Brown in that one. But again, sometimes it's just one of those matchups that just isn't in your favor. And I think TJ Brown is a fantastic fighter. And I think he's going to be back. I think he's still going to be able to make some waves at 145 in that one. Moving into 205, we had Tafan and Jukwi versus Carlos Olberg. Or as uh, he's otherwise known on MMA Twitter as the dreamy Carlos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. You know, I, I thought Tafan was going to do a lot more grappling in this one. But Carlos did a very good job of staying on the outside and uh, sticking and moving, kind of being on his bike. And then a beautiful left hand that kind of started out as a jab, but he kind of turned it over right at the end to kind of make it like a little shovel hook that landed right on uh, Tafan's jaw, put him down. He kind of gamely struggled back up, but then Carlos jumped on him, finished a few more shots, beautiful TKO in the first round for dreamy Carlos Albert. And uh, you know, what's funny is that like nobody hates on the guy really like I mean, we can, all, How can you, know, like, you yeah you can't he's he's no. good too because not only is he pretty he's very good that's the thing he backs up the pretty boyness you know what i mean and like he doesn't he he doesn't go in there and just try to play it safe like he'll scrap you know what i mean mm-hmm. he's a city kickboxing guy i'm sure he takes a million shots all the time in practice so he's not trying to protect himself he's kind of like um yeah yeah i think he's a really good fighter i'm, I'm excited to see what happens with him going forward at two me too so moving into our main card, we had Chris Action Man Curtis versus Rodolfo Vieira. <clears throat> I could break down all three rounds, but they're so similar, I could just kind of put it this way. Chris Curtis did a phenomenal job of takedown defense. Every time Vieira would, you know, dove at his legs, he sprawled out, he got right back up, and he was landing a crisp straight left. He was doing some beautiful body work. I mean, some of those body shots were like uppercuts and jabs and everything to the body, which really slowed Rodolfo Vieira down. Chris Curtis won all three rounds uh, on my scorecard. I don't know what the actual one was, but I think it was that as well. He got the UD in that one at 185 over Rodolfo Vieira. 
that was a straight, like a steady diet of body shots to take down defense is going to beat most guys who are shooting in as often as Rodolfo did. So great win for Chris Curtis. We love him over here at CSWR. Big fans of him. All right, moving into 135. You want to talk about watching the same thing over and over on repeat? <laughs> you got Umar Nurmagomedov. Oh, I just said that wrong. Nurmagomedov versus Nate Manis. And, like, this was, I mean, besides the one super cool, you know, high kick that he landed, kind of that high, straight, stinging shot kick, it was Umar constantly taking Nate down, you know, being on top. He didn't land anything super devastating. He had some, you know, a few nice short elbows. Um, but basically, it was just top control. It was nonstop, incessant top control off every takedown, whether it was a trip or a double leg. It didn't matter. Umar took Nate down at will, covered him up, beat him up. That was it. UD easy for Umar Nurmagomedov. And that was pretty cool to see um, to see Habib in there with him. I know they're cousins, but it was so pretty cool to see him in there. All right, let's move into 155 pounds. We got Tiago Moises. Versus Christos Giagos. Moises initiated a clinch right away. He got on Christos' back, kind of in the backpack position, kind of like piggybacking him, right? He he, he put in the uh, the body triangle. Christos wasn't doing much of anything, and then Tiago kind of was swimming and searching for that rear naked choke. He slapped it on, got it in, and Christos, like, tapped right away, dude. So Tiago Moises got the very impressive rear naked choke from the backpack position in the first round for him. Moving into 265, my boys, my big boys, the heavyweights. We had Josh Parisian from Michigan versus and Rhino Gang, by the way, versus Alain Badeau. Um, leg kicks early for Josh. He he walked into a straight, like, standing weird hammer fist from Alain Badeau, but it landed perfectly. Dropped Josh. Alan jumped on top, wasn't able to finish. Uh, Josh moved his way back up, put Alain up against the cage and kind of took him down where he kind of stood over him and landed a bunch of shots to end the first. I think that was really the the big momentum shift that he needed, right? Josh's eye was closed, but his his corner was like, dude, take this guy down. He's got nothing for you on the ground. Josh followed suit, took him down. Hammer fist, hammer fist, got the full mount. It was a beautiful TKO in the second round for Josh Parisian over Alain Bodeau in that one. So, Rhino, gang, gang, gang. All right, moving into our co-main event, we had Shavkat Rachmanov versus Neil Magny. Now, the first round was really, it was a lot of Shavkat kind of trying to be on top but not really being able to pull off anything. Neil did a really good job on the ground of avoiding submissions. And let's be honest, he didn't take a ton of damage. You know what I mean? Shavkat was throwing some shots, but Neil was doing a very good job of covering up, getting out of the way, what have you. <clears throat> and then in the second round, Nomad pressed Nomad. Nomad. Oh, God, come on, dude. Nomad, which is Shavkat's nickname. Nomad pressed Neil up against the cage. Uh, got a trip takedown, all kinds of scrambles, and then finally was able to put on the guillotine, slap it on, really had a hard squeeze, which made Neil tap with just two seconds left to go in the second round. Big win. It was win so for awesome. Oh, go ahead, APB. It was so awesome. It was so awesome to watch. Absolutely. Shavkat Rachmanov is the truth. Um, Neil Maggie is a fantastic fighter, longtime veteran, and Shavkat did a great job getting the win on that one. So let's move into our main event at 155 pounds. And, like, this was exhausting. <laughs> yes. Like, like Mateus Gamrot and Armand Sarukian are are they're not clones of each other, but they both have a lot of very similar skill sets and physical attributes. Their cardio incredible. Their takedowns, their takedown defense, the scrambles, the way that they are able to get up from bottom, the way they're able to get out of things, it, it was just incredible. 
So the first two rounds w- was really Armand Sarukian um, with the striking and with the, you know, with the scrambles and with the top control and the takedowns. I thought it was a very clear first two rounds for Armand Sarukian. I thought Mateus Gamrock came back in the third with his control and did a really good job there. In the fourth round, you know, there wasn't a ton that happened that was significant except for the spinning back fist, which dropped and, you know, dropped Mateus Gamrot. He gamely got, you know, back up and kept on going, but there wasn't a ton that happened in that fourth. <clears throat> Gamrot had a lot of control, but he didn't do anything with it. You know what I mean? He had a lot of top and side control, but he didn't, he didn't land anything significant. It didn't really get any close to any submissions. So in the fifth round, it was all pretty much all Gamrot. You know, again, there was more scrambles, more takedowns, more top control, more control for Mateus Gamrot. So again, I gave Armand Sarukian one, two, and three, and I gave Gamrot three and five, but the judges saw fit to give Gamrot the decision. So he got the UD five in that one over Armand Sarukian. But again, I don't want to take away from how incredible of a performance these two fighters had. I mean, it was almost like watching the fight on fast forward. They were constantly moving, trying to do everything they could to win. I give nothing but huge props to both guys. And again, I think we may be able to see them down um, down the road fight again because they are both really top tier, top level, young, hungry 155ers. And yeah, I was super duper impressed with both of them. So awesome, razor close decision. Um, yeah, so that's going to have our our full recap of UFC Vegas 57. All right, APB. There wasn't a ton of drops to choose from. But I think we're both going to go with, we talked off the air a little bit, I think we're both going to go with the dreamy Carlos Olberg with that kind of jab turning into a late hook hybrid over to yep. Fanny Jukwi. Is that what you're going to go with as well? Yes, yes. Carlos Olberg with the jab left hook hybrid, which we could call like a jabuk or something. A what? A jabuk. Oh my the god. The pretty boy Jabuk. Maybe that's his new signature move. The pretty boy Jabuk. I like it. I mean, that sounds like a dance move of some sort, you know, like everybody do the Jabuk. Oh shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, Carlos Olberg, great fucking drop, great win for him. City kickboxing is just on fire as of late between Izzy and Volk and Brad Quake Riddell and all the killers over there. Unbelievable stuff. All right, APB, let's go ahead and do our main picks. For UFC 276, the big pay-per-view from next week. I'll go ahead and get started off at 135 pounds. I've got Pedro Munoz beating Sugar Sean O'Malley by TKO in the third round. What about you? Nice. I also <laughs> have Pedro Munoz. And I'm going to, I don't know. Um, I think that he's going to have to definitely chop his legs because we know that Sean O'Malley has weak ankles, so I think he should start out with that and maybe get him on the ground and rear naked choke. I'm still laughing at the jab hook hybrid being the jabuk. Like that's really funny. Pretty boy, pretty boy jabuk. The pretty boy. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep professional. I'm still just like giggling about that. Okay. So uh, our next fight that we have on the card because the the Misha Tate Lauren Murphy fight has been pulled apparently. Uh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, so I don't think there's going to be a late replacement for Tate, so we're going to go ahead and scratch that one. So we're going to go up to 85 and have Alex Perea versus Sean Strickland. I really actually like this fight because I'm not a Sean Strickland fan at all. I really like Alex Perea. So I'm going to go with a TKO in the third round from um, for Alex Perea over Sean Strickland. TKO okay. in the third. What about you? Um, well, I hate him, but I think it's going to be Sean Strickland – um, TKO punches in the third. 
All right, we got TKO3 for APB on that one. All right, moving into the 145-pound um, belt being on the line, we got Volk Mal- We got Volk versus Max again. And again, I love Max Holloway. He's literally one of my five or six favorite fighters on the entire roster. <clears throat> I just think, and it's hard to beat somebody three times. We all know that. But again, I think Alexander Volkanovsky is going to get it done by a very close UD over Max Holloway in that one. What about you? Yeah, I like both of them too, but I think it's still going to be um, Volk again. Um, but it's probably going to be a decision. You're probably right, but you know I hate decisions, so I'm going to say that he's going to armbar Max in the fourth round. You know, Max has been armbarred before by Dustin Poirier, so it could happen. Anything is possible. This crazy, wacky world of MMA, as we know. All right. I've got Israel Adesanya in the 185-pound belt uh, title fight over Jared Cannonier by a clean KO in the second. And I think it's going to be from a wow. high kick. I got a high kick KO for Israel like Adesanya over Jared Cannonier in the second round. What's your call on that one? APB. Um, I think it's going to be Adesanya as well, but I think it's going to be um, TKO in the fifth Okay, so they're going to go deep into the championship rounds on that one. All right. Well, APB, it is now time to get into our Twitter questions. And our first one comes from our motorcycle riding madman, the Dean Dog. Dean Dog, what do you got this week, my dude? Okay, Dean says, from last night's card, which fight was, and he gives three categories, um, which fight was most disappointing, most surprising, and most impressive? So, number one, for sure, I'm always disappointed when anyone from the Rhino gang takes an L, dude. So, for me, the biggest disappointment was T.J. Brown. Not being disappointed in his performance, because I thought he fought really, really well. Just the fact that he lost, right? That's what's disappointing, not the way he fought, because I thought he fought awesome. So, that was the biggest disappointment for me. Um, I was definitely surprised that Mario Bautista ran right through a very tough veteran like Brian Kelleher, dude. He got the quick submission in the first round. That that was very surprising. I thought that was going to be... a tough, drawn-out, you know, long fight. Nope. <laughs> and then I was most impressed by both guys in the main event, right? Mateus and Armand just put on one hell of a fight for all five rounds. Incredible displays of heart, cardio, everything you like to see in a five-round fight between two lightweights like that. Really, really impressed by both of those guys. So those are my three answers on that one, Dean Dog. Great question, as always, my guy. All right, APB, let's go into our homie, the Raiders Sweet Potato, RSP. What do you got this week, my dude? Okay, RSP says, compared to 10 and 20 years ago, the average MMA fighter today is far more well-rounded than ever. Taking that into consideration, has the sport reached a stage of its evolution where dominant, long-reigning champions are a thing of the past because so many of them are incredibly well-rounded? Or will we see the occasional champion who dominates like GSP, Silva, and Johnson did? So great question, dude. I think you're 100% right about there being more parity in MMA over the last few years. I do think I do still think we will see champions here and there moving forward that have those long, lengthy title reigns, right? I think it'll be far, you know, more few and far between than it has been in the years past, but I do think it will happen. So right now, if I was going to pick a couple that I think have already had it for a while and are going to have it for a while, I got to go with Valentina Shevchenko, dude. I think she could have that hold on to that 125 belt for three, four more years, maybe. She is that good. And, yes, there are people who are going to push her like her last fight. There are people who are going to be close. I just think she's going to win and retain for a long time moving forward. The other one is Kamaru Usman. Now, again, this is this is contingent upon his 
body being able to hold up because he's had so many injuries over the years. But I think if Kamaru Usman can remain healthy or even at, you know, 90%, I think Kamaru Usman is so incredible as a welterweight and as a welterweight champion. I think he can defend several more times over the next few years and really go down again with the big debate is always going to be who's the best welterweight. Is it him or GSP? And, And again, you can make a real argument for both already. But if Kamaru rattles off four or five more title defenses, dude, uh, you probably have, almost have to lean that way, you know? And so, yeah, I think there's going to be fighters moving forward where we will see every now and again a fighter have a several-year reign like uh, GSP or Anderson Silva or, you know, Mighty Mouse did in years past. So, great question, of course. RSP, thank you so much, my dude. All right, APB, our third one comes from the homie Brian from the Home and Sale. What do you got this week, Holster? Brian says... How do you see the Alex Bahia versus Sean Strickland fight going next week? I'd sure like to see him get humbled in that one. <laughs> Dude, I love the idea of here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and I enjoyed very much in thinking about this. <clears throat> the idea of Alex landing a crushing knee to Strickland's face from the tie plum position. That one keeps dancing in my head, right? Sean is a very high pressure, high volume striker. He's got great cardio. Like he can push the whole time. Alex, you know, on the other hand, is an incredible striker, such a top tier, top level kickboxer. And the, you know, I don't think, I don't think Sean Strickland has faced somebody who's going to be taller than him, have the range like Alex does, and then have the timing that Alex does with his striking. So again, I think it's going to be a a situation where Strickland is going to get hurt several times in the first half of the second round, but keep pushing forward because he doesn't know how else to fight. And then he's going to get caught. And again, I would love it to be a big strike, whether it's a head kick or a big knee or something big that puts Sean Strickland down and out. So that's what I'm going for. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm rooting for. And that would really, that really could happen. So that's my answer on that one. Holster, great question, my dude. All right. We've got several voice questions to get into APB. So I know our first one comes from our dear broski, Decrons. Decrons, what do you got this week, dude? Hey, Rhino. Man, that was a fun night of fights. Uh, the main event was fucking crazy. Um, one of my favorite fights, though, was uh, Carlos Elberg, as as quick as it was. And the row of killers that showed up to support him. I mean, um, Volk, Izzy, I, I forget who else was there. City Kickboxing's doing a hell of a job. That is quite the gym. I was wondering if you could handpick... Uh, any fighter and transplant them to another gym for their benefit who would it be and why much love rhino gang can't wait to listen to the show great question homie i I gotta go with rafael fazeev right he's been at tiger muay thai for a long time his stand-up striking is so incredibly sharp it's creative and it's punishing dude he's only had 12 fights his mma career so you know his his ground game really could use a lot of work. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure sending him over to AKA for a few months to work with Habib DC and the whole crew over there at AKA specifically just to work on the wrestling. And in particular, the, the takedowns and takedown defense plus top control. I think you put Rafael Fazeev over in AKA with those guys for a few months, you are going to have a 29 year old lightweight, with that level of striking already, and then with some high-level wrestling to go along with it, you're talking about a championship material fighter. And I would love to see what would happen if Rafael Fazeev went over to AKA for just a few months and trained with those guys and see what kind of fighter he would be afterwards. So, yeah, that's my answer on that one. D-Cron's great question, my dude. All right, our next one comes from our homie Ty the Fly Guy, the Denver Bronco-loving fanatic. 
Ty, what do you got this week, my dude? Hey, Rhino, it's Ty, your Denver Broncos loving fanatic. Um, first off, Front Kicks and Throw Codes podcast is coming back this upcoming week, so it should be interesting. Um, my question for you is, so they announced on the UFC broadcast that Misha Tate and Lauren Murphy is off 276 um, for undisclosed reasons um, on Murphy's part. Seeing as how this is the second, uh, this would be the third time they try to rebook it, there might be a chance that Dana doesn't do it. Others, who would you like to see Misha Tate face off against in flyweights if they can't rebook her against Murphy? Let me know what you think. Love the show. I'll catch you later. Peace. So if Misha's going to go back to 125 and not 135, and it's not going to be Lauren Murphy, I like the matchup with Jennifer Maya, dude. She's coming off two losses in a row, but it's still ranked number five, uh, just behind Laura Murphy, by the way. She's got a classic jujitsu base versus the wrestling base that Misha comes in with. So what happens when you've got a jujitsu person and a wrestling person? Oftentimes, they end up standing up and banging for three rounds, right? So I love the idea of Jennifer Maya and Misha Tate squaring off and getting after it and having a really fun back-and-forth stand-up fight as they're grappling, respectively, would uh, negate each other. So yeah, that's my answer on that one. That's what I would love to see. So I hope that matchup gets made. So thank you very much, Ty. All right. I know our next voice question comes from the juicy fruit, baby from the friendly sparring pod juice. What do you got this week? My dude. What's up, Rhino? International fight week is next week and I've only been once. It was for UFC 213. I want to say that year was 2016. No, 2017, I think. Anyway, yeah, because UC 200 was 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so 2017, International Fight Week. Um, one of the things they do is like a meet and greet with certain fighters, which is basically just like taking pictures because the lines are long. You don't really get to talk to them really, but at least it gets you a chance to like be seen. And, you know, sometimes you get like a one word little exchange in or one sentence exchange. That year they had Cody Garbrandt, um, Rocky, and, and um Tisha Torres together, Rocky Pennington and Tisha Torres. And I forget who the third was. But if you were in charge of PR for the UFC, who are some fighters, maybe maybe two or three, maybe four fighters, um, you would want to put out there on the front lines to get some more exposure? Oh, great question, homie. So there are two there are two guys right away who for the exact same reasons I would like to be at those meet and greets. One, Sean Brady. Everyone who's listening to the show knows how high I am on the kid. I think he's going to be a great fighter moving forward. I would love to see him get that matchup with Kevin Holland in August or September, dude. I think that would be answer a lot of questions, but I think Sean Brady needs some shine, and I think that would be one great way to do it. And on the other side of the plane, because they may have to fight each other at some point, but on the other side of the fan fest, <coughs> Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez, dude, also, I mean, such an underrated, under-talked about, under-appreciated fighter. Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez at 170, he brings it every fucking time. He's just not a real outspoken, big on social media guy, so he doesn't get talked about enough. So I would like Sean Brady and D-Rod to both be there to get some more fans and get you know their names out there a little bit more. Another one, and I just talked about him in the um, write-ins, would be Rafael Fiziev. Uh, I think he is really funny. I think he is you know charismatic, and I think he's somebody else who – could really gain a lot of fans because they watch his fights and how creative he is. And I think, if you know, they get to know his personality a little bit. 
or even just meet him, you know, then you're kind of like, okay, I want to see this guy fight. And then when you see him fight, you almost automatically become a fan. So Rafael Fazi would be another one. And then, of course, the last one would be what would probably be described as the main event of the meet and greet. But you got to go with my man. Choo-choo! Blessed is best, and it is what it is. Maxie baby, Max Holloway. I think, you know, he is one of the most, if not the most, universally loved. UFC fighter. So again, I would like Max to be able to be there. Everyone would be hyped about that. So yeah, those are my uh, those are my four fighters I would love to meet and greet if I was running uh, International Fight Week. So great question. Of course, check out Juice and Leo at the Friendly Sparring Pod. Always a fun time over there. All right, EPB. Let's go ahead and get into our ten rounds of Rhino with UFC strawweight Emily Decody after a quick word from our sponsor K and R Designs. Hey, Rhino gang, are you looking for a piece of furniture to tie the room together? Maybe make it feel a little bit more homey? How about a beautifully restored dresser for the bedroom or an end table for the family room? Well, look no further than my good friends at K&R Designs. You got a piece of furniture that needs restoration? They got you covered. Looking for a new addition to your home decor that's already been beautifully done? They got you there, too. We're talking dressers, armoires, kitchen tables, cabinets, nightstands, any and all wood furniture you can think of, they've got or can get for you. So check out K&R Designs in-store at 101 West Chicago Boulevard in Tecumseh, Michigan, or on their website, knrcustomdesigns.com. Check out their Facebook page, K&R Home Deco, that's D-E-C-O, to see everything they have and the amazing work that they can do. You can also call and order at 517-605-7173. They accept PayPal, Venmo, Square, Cash, Check. They accept them all. So if you want the absolute best of the best and restorative wood furniture creators, you got to check out K&R Designs. Tell them you're a member of the Rhino Gang, and that'll get you 20% off your very first purchase. Once again, check out K&R Designs, Combat Sports with Rhino's proud sponsor. All Rhino Gang, we've got ourselves another fantastic guest. Oh, 10 rounds this week with Rhino is UFC strawweight, former Invicta strawweight champion, Gordinha. Emily Decody. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today, my friend. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are so stoked to have you on. So basically, Emily, with the round one with Rhino is always the same for the fighters. And it's probably my favorite question of them all. We love to hear the origin story. What's the background story of how you first got involved in this crazy whack and world of MMA, my friend? <laughs> well, uh, when I was a kid, I used to stay over at my grandparents' house and they would have the UFC fights on. Uh, my grandma was like obsessed with Uri Faber and that kind of started the whole thing. They convinced my mom, uh, well, both my parents, my dad is cool with whatever, but my mom needed a little convincing to get started in Taekwondo and as a kid. And then, you know, from there I started wrestling in high school, wrestled a little bit of college and, uh, that's what brought me to Oklahoma and from there, I found the gym that I'm at, and I just never left. That's amazing. <laughs> so your next scrap is just a few weeks away from the time we're recording this on July 16th. It'll be yeah. on the undercard of UFC Fight Night, Ortega versus Rodriguez. We all know that camp, you know, I was a professional fighter for, you know, 13 years, and literally every camp is different. What right. would you say has been kind of the overriding theme of this camp this time around? So when I, you know, got the news about the fight, I had about six weeks. So, um, and for me, that's not short notice. I feel like that's perfect timing for me and my camp. 
but it was a little difficult to plan trips this time around. Normally I'll go somewhere or have somebody come here and just everybody's schedule and my schedule just didn't really work out. So we've just been hitting it really hard at home and um, I feel really great. Honestly, um, after the last couple of years, after each fight, I had like months and months off, like not off, but um, not in fight camp and just kind of waiting for a fight to get lined up. So um, I just fought in May and a couple of weeks later, I found out about this. So I feel really good. I feel like it's just a continuation of last camp and I'm just was able to hop back on track really quickly and I feel good and um, feel very, very good right now at this time. That's awesome to hear. Now, um, your opponent is Jessica Penne, who's been a longtime UFC vet. What do you see that she brings to the cage with her as far as skill set wise you're going to need to prepare for? Yeah, I'm very familiar with Jessica Penne. She came up in Invicta, and and I've watched all of Invicta, so I'm definitely familiar with her. Um, I think she's really good, very technical. I think she favors judo and grappling, so I'm sure she's going to look to get it there. But by no means is she afraid to strike or anything like that. So I do feel like this is going to be a very well-rounded fight, and I'm just looking forward to it. Absolutely, dude. The, you know, as someone, this is a funny one. So as someone who has seen you fight in person, like I have, who has walked right by you at a hotel, even been on an elevator with you and some other people, I think, I have no idea, Jessica, <laughs> I'm not Jessica, I almost said Jessica Pennant. I have no idea how you, Emily, got the nickname Gordinha, which means chubby in Portuguese. And you're <laughs> the opposite of that. You are so small and shredded. So how in the world did you get that nickname to stick? So that nickname is from when I first got to the gym. Um, eight years ago, I walked in and I was a little bit thicker. I had a lot less control of my diet than I do now. So I was thicker, I was heavier, um, had a cut, you know, a good cut each time. So my Brazilian coach just gave me that nickname and it stuck. And I just feel like it's fitting. Uh, now I, you know, I have control and I'm on a good diet routine, but I still love a good donut. You know, I actually have a donut sponsor here in Oklahoma City, Hertz Donut. So um, it's fitting. It's a fitting name still. Fair enough. We have a we actually have a food question a little bit later on. So we're going to put your pause on that one. <laughs> okay. You have had several fights um, in, under the Bellator banner before you got your running Invicta for a while. So Bellator is obviously widely seen as the kind of the second tier down from the UFC as far as the size of promotions and the amount of eyes it draws and so on and so forth. So do you feel like that will be a big, I don't know, a hurdle that you've already jumped over before making your UFC debut that you've already kind of been under the bright lights and already had a ton of, of media attention for that situation before going into your UFC debut? I 100% think it's it's very helpful experience that I have. Um, I know it's totally different, but I do think that it will help. And it's it just, in my mind, makes the jump less less distance. Like It's not like I'm fighting for small local shows and now I'm, I'm fighting for the biggest show in the world. I have fought for several shows, um, Invicta and Bellator, you know, our big shows. So I feel like I do have experience with some of the similarities that I'm going to encounter, you know, media, big venue, big lights, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm thankful for all that experience that I do have for my career. I absolutely think that too. And I thought the exact same thing that you just brought up was you're not like um, coming off of five small regional shows and then being thrown into the UFC. I mean, you've been there 
done that, got the T-shirt at some pretty big venues under some pretty big bright lights. So I think you're going to have kind of an advantage uh, as opposed to somebody who coming and right off the regional seat. So I totally agree with you on that one. So right, right now, right now, uh, Emily, you are on a three-fight win streak. Um, I was at your last fight where you looked sharp as attack. There, there has never been a better version in researching you for this interview. I've absolutely noticed a progression in a lot of different ways, of course, with most fighters as they move forward in their career with experience, but particularly with the striking and particularly with how sharp the striking is, particularly with how there's no more looping, right? It's almost all straight shots. The distance seems to be really improving. Is it fair to say we're seeing the best version of you right now? Definitely. Um, I feel like, you know, I have had a really long career and I've had a lot of testing moments and fights and, and I always, I don't say no to opponents. So, you know, if you look at my record, you'll see, I have fought some very good people, probably the best people outside of the UFC. Um, so I feel like I've been tested and I've learned a lot of lessons. And as a person and a fighter, I always like to, uh, evolve and improve. And, and I didn't, I don't want to be a sloppy fighter. Like I want to be very technical. Um, I, I don't do this sport to brawl. I don't do it to, you know, beat somebody up. That's, that's not why I do it. Uh, however, I have been in brawls and I will brawl if need be, but you know, I really want to be a very technical fighter. So, um, I've been trying, you know, slowly but surely to sharpen everything up and I feel really, really good now. I feel like Definitely, this is the best I've ever been, and I'm looking to continue to improve and just to sharpen up everywhere. Absolutely, and I think like I think like Jessica Penne is a really good opponent for you. I mean, I don't just mean experience wise and size wise and all those other things. I just think like you guys are going to be able to engage, and I feel like you have the speed and the technical advantage against her in that realm. So I'm really looking forward to that fight. So now. We're going to get into one of our like kind of slew of really easy kind of fun questions. Okay. So, <laughs> so no, no more really about fighting per se, but um, away from the cage, what are some things that you like to do away from the cage, away from training, away from all things MMA, just for fun that you like to do to relax and, you know, kind of enjoy, enjoy yourself. That's a hard question for me because I, I really like the martial arts lifestyle. So I don't do a whole lot outside of the gym. Um, but well, the first thing that pops to mind is dogs. Outside of fighting, dogs, for sure. Um, I have a bunch of dogs. I am a big advocate of rescue dogs, uh, specifically pitties. So um, a lot of my time, you know, sometimes after my fights, I'll, I'll do my best to do a fundraiser or something like that just to um, just help out as much as I can because the rescue world is is – drowning right now so dogs dogs are my world outside of fighting well as a incredible dog lover myself with my rescue um with my rescue champ sitting right next to me as i'm doing this interview i fully wholeheartedly co-sign on that yeah he's a beagle not a pity but he was That's a rescue okay. too and he's, <laughs> Love he's, it. My best, he's my best friend of 10 years and uh yeah he's looking at me like stop talking about me dude I love, <laughs> I love it <laughs> so our next one is for round eight and, and maybe you might have just maybe just give us a clue but let's just say that fighting didn't exist and there was no mma there was no boxing there was no combat sports what do you think you would be doing as a profession if, if that were the if that were the case yeah, I think about that every once in a while, like, what would I be doing if if I wasn't doing this? And I honestly, 
I would be miserable. Uh, (laughs) I cannot do do a desk job. You know, I can't do like a nine to five or eight to five or whatever, uh, quote unquote normal job is. I just really, um, would have a difficult time imagining myself doing that. Um, I've been like that my whole life. Like if I, if I don't love what I'm doing, like if I'm not committed to it, like I just will not put in like that effort. So like, like fighting, I will, I will put in that effort until, you know, until I'm done. So, uh, that's super difficult, but yeah, I think maybe dog training, um, it's something I do want to get into later on uh, when I'm able to kind of give more time to that. Cause that's like a, that's also like, you know, a big thing, you know, that, that kind of takes up a lot of time and a lot sure. of energy, but yeah, for sure. I think, I think my answer would be if I wasn't fighting, I would, I would do something dog training or Something in the world of the something in the dog world of something. Yes, right, something. Right. <laughs> so you prefaced that when we talked about a little bit earlier, you talked about uh, donuts a little bit that you do have a donut sponsor there. Yes. In, uh, there in Oklahoma. So now, Emily, the fight has already happened. All of the training, all of the hard work, all of the dieting, all of the restrictions, all of that stuff is over. You've already won. You're celebrating with the team. You're celebrating with your friends, your family. You get to really throw down on whatever you want. What are you getting and where are you getting it from? That's so hard because you imagine like all these different things before you fight, right? You're like drooling. You're looking at pictures on Instagram and killing yourself about it. And then afterwards when you can do whatever, I have a hard time nailing down what I want. But I'm definitely hitting up the donut shop. That's without a doubt. Um, I'm a huge sweet tooth person. So wherever I am, I'm finding a good donut shop. That's totally fair game on that one. I love it. All right, so we've careened our way to the 10th round, Emily, which is the easiest round of them all. Just share your social media everybody, so everybody in the Rhino gang, we can all uh, kind of follow you and your career moving forward and kind of keep tabs and become fans and be on the uh, Emily Ducote train moving forward. So what are all your social medias? Um, most active on Instagram, so uh, Emily Ducote or mducote1. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, Emily Gorginia Ducote. Um I post more on those two, uh, not as active on Twitter, but definitely Instagram. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on all things Gordinia. Excellent. Well, we are all super stoked to watch you fight on July 16th. Again, folks, I've seen her fight in person. It is, it is incredible. She is so well-rounded, super explosive, brings in power you don't always see in the strawweight division, right? So it is really something to watch when you watch Gordinia, Emily Ducote, get in there and scrap. Let's all tune in on July 16th. And Emily, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. This is Emily Ducote, and I just went 10 rounds with Rhino. Emily, thank you so very much, my friend. Super duper awesome. We can't wait to see you um, make your UFC debut here shortly. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable fighter. Cannot wait. So I want to give some shout-outs and our outros to our forum contributors. To D. Kranz. To Dean Dog, the motorcycle riding madman. To the homie of the range of sweet potato. To Brian from the home and sale. To Ty the fly guy. To our boy Juice from Friendly Sparring. To some other members of the Rhino Gang. To Jamal. To Jessica from What's Up Weirdo Pod. Oh, check out Jamal, who we, we affectionately know as Cyrus King. Check him out at Combat Corner. To our girl Ashley from the Silly Little Pod. To our man Mike Morgan from Shots Fired. To the man of mayhem, Fabian. To all the ladies of the PRG. To all my underdog MMA fan. To Tori. Marquise from Weeks House Radio. Filthy Casual. And congratulations, Filthy Casual! To our girl Brett. To Tom and Sandy. Miss Fight Diva. To my beloved Rhino Gang GC. 
to feature play Andrea, to D Reigns, the best engineer in the biz, to our girl APB for stepping up and co-hosting once again this week. You did awesome and we love you. To our guy Dave Fretz, the Einstein of graphic design, another fantastic, knocked it out of the park poster this week. Unbelievable. Check him out, Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram for the best graphic design stuff you're ever going to lay your eyes on. I hope everybody has a good week this week. I know there is so much turmoil going on right now. Try to be a friend. Try to be supportive. Try to be a good person. As we know forever and ever, love is greater than hate. And we will see you next week. Gates! Uh...